So um, I will begin. So my um, uh, talk is on generosity. Thank you for coming to our Sunday sit today. As many of you know, we are studying the Paramis this year. And on this last Sunday of the month, no, sorry, this is not the last Sunday of the month. Suze is going to do last Sunday of the month. Next week, no? No, next week I start morality. This is the oh, last Sunday of the right. month. Okay, it is the last Sunday. Okay, yes. <laughs> yes, it is the last Sunday of the month on generosity. The Parmes are called the perfections, but we're human beings and certainly not perfect. So hopefully our stories that we're sharing with you this month will help you accept that this is a work in progress. So generosity is the first of the 10 paramis. And um, I'm going to read a poem in honor of generosity, or at least in relationship to generosity. And it's called The Moment by Margaret Atwood. The moment when, after many years of hard work, and a long voyage. You stand in the center of your room, house, half acre, square mile, island, country, knowing at last how you got there and say, I own this, is the same moment when the trees unloose their soft arms from around you, the birds take back their language, the cliffs fissure and collapse, and air moves back from you like a wave, and you can't breathe. No, they whisper, you own nothing. You were a visitor, time after time, climbing the hill, planting the flag, proclaiming, we never belonged to you. You never found us. It was always the other way around. That introduces the aspect of generosity that I'm going to focus on, which is ownership. And it is an experience I had recently, a story I'm going to share about my discoveries of ownership and generosity. Norman Fisher, who is one of the uh, people we've been referring to, he's a Zen teacher. Um, We've been referring to him this month. He wrote a book called It could be otherwise about the Paramis, and he's listed in our resource page, which I'll talk more about at the end of the talk. Um, He tells in his book how a monk asked uh, the Tang Dynasty Zen master why giving is the gateway to the Bodhisattva path. And the Zen master answered that it is because to practice giving is to practice letting go. The monk asked, what do you let go of? And the master said, you let go of narrow views that things are small, tight, graspable, and possessable. As as human beings, we're heirs to a generous spirit. But what blocks that? Norman says we have to investigate this. And Ajahn Suchita says who's the other person we've referred to a lot um, in during this month, 
adds that we have to investigate heedfully with unbiased attention. I'm going to focus on the relationship of our concept of ownership in relation to generosity, which includes the states of mind called scarcity and abundance. And I'll try to view this through the lens of a structure for working with the Paramis that Ajahn Suchito and Norman Fisher to a degree suggest. In their books, Paramis, Ways to Cross the Floods, that's from Ajahn Suchito, and The World Could Be Otherwise, that's Norman's book. The structure has four elements, wise attention, action, which includes non-action, reflection, and meditation. Those are the four ways to uh, approach, helpful ways to approach um, developing the paramis. But I'll start with my story of generosity first, which actually begins with its opposite, attachment. You would think that after practicing for almost 18 years that I would have known better. In a way, I did know better, but I did it anyway. And this was what happened. I was arriving at a retreat. I had learned over the course of many retreats that the first thing to do was to go to the meditation hall and find the spot where you um, want to sit and um, uh, see where I'm and set down your stuff, your cushions, your shawl, your blankets in a spot uh, to save your place. And since I had arrived early, I had no problem finding a just right spot. I placed my Zafu, which is the little cushion, on top, uh, and my shawl on top of a Zabutan, which is the big flat um, cushion, at the back of the room, right in the middle, right in front of view of the teacher. And I pulled the Zabutan close to a nearby chair in case I wanted to switch from the floor to the chair later. Satisfied, I went to the supply closet where extra blankets and Zafus and other items were stored, which we could borrow during the retreat. And I found an extra Zafu that would enable me to sit higher and add to my comfort in case my knees started to hurt. Then I left the hall to sign up for my yogi job. A few hours later, it was time to meet in the hall for the opening session. And now the practice of noble silence was officially beginning. And I realized that I needed to quickly leave a note for the staff in the dining room on the way to the meditation hall. And that made me arrive a few minutes. Well, not late, but only a few minutes before the session began. And when I arrived, I saw that the room was full. I looked for my place, the place that was mine, that I had saved with my Zafu and my shawl. Someone was sitting in my place on my Zafu. My shawl was carefully draped across his knees. I gasped silently. Where could I sit? Things were starting. I saw one empty chair, and it was the one that I had placed my cushions next to. So I squeezed into the chair just in time, my mind going a mile a minute. How was I going to write this wrong? I couldn't talk because of noble silence. I couldn't explain the misunderstanding but I really, really wanted to, if not to this perpetrator, at least to a sympathetic ear. So that's the beginning of my story. And now I'm going to switch gears and look at those elements again 
and how might they might be used with my experience. So the elements, again, they're not sequential. They're wise attention, which Ajahn Suchito also says is heedfulness, unbiased attention. And their action, which can include the non-action of pausing and also restraint. Norman calls this everyday life practice. And there's reflection. And there's meditation. To summarize, the practice with the paramis, according to Norman and Ajahn Suchitu, involves both inner and outer work. The inner practices include meditation, reflection, and attention, and the action part is engaging with our fellow beings and our environment. Pausing, in a way, seems both inner and outer. When we pause, we allow ourselves time to reflect on what's going on inwardly with us and to contemplate the effects our actions might have. It gives us time to develop heedfulness and lessens our reactivity. Paying attention happens when we wake up from our unwholesome habits, our defaults, our automatic pilot, so we can notice body feelings better, like contraction, numbing, or avoidance. And we can bring thoughts and viewpoints into consciousness. We can become more alert to feelings, noticing small, fearful, clingy feelings, defensive feelings. And with lots of practice, eventually we learn how to notice these things before they run away with us. We stop and ask ourselves, is this really true? What is the consequence of this habit of mind or this action or this feeling? But we don't just notice our unwholesomeness. We notice what is wholesome, too, feelings of empathy, our aspirations for the well-being of ourselves and others. Pausing. That's another element. Wise attention is supported by a kind of restraint, which enables us to pause when we suddenly become aware that something's not right. We might hear a voice in our head saying, wait a minute. Pausing offers us a chance to adjust the direction of the mind by adding fresh input. And over time, it affects a change, of course, in our inner and outer life. Actions. Well, there are many many ways to be generous. And I know we've discussed them during the course of the month. There's, um, you know, you do many, we all do many actions of uh, generous actions. The intention of our action is really important. And we need to let our actions be led by an intention to join with, think of ourselves as belonging to a larger whole rather than a separate part. Release some of the I, me, mine. Um, That intention can lead to all kinds of spontaneous generosity that we had never even thought of before. So now the story is going to continue. Um, And then I'll discuss the third and fourth elements, reflection and meditation. So back in the Meditation Hall, I was at the opening session of the retreat in noble silence outwardly, but internally I was going on. Uh, uh, Internally a lot was going on. I was in a pause, not of my own choosing, and at first I could only think of how I was going to reclaim my Zafu and shawl and my place in the hall. I didn't want to sit in a chair. I wanted to sit on a cushion. The person who had taken my place and things without 
my offering them was sitting right in front of me. And I was thinking about him too. I thought, he's not very considerate, not very mindful. I could see myself putting a box around him. This guy is not like me. I wouldn't take someone else's place, take their things. But slowly the idea that he might not be aware that he had taken anything emerged in my mind. And the idea came up to my attention. I wonder if he might be new to retreats. Maybe he's not aware of the way we do things. And by the, by the time we started going around the room introducing ourselves and sharing what brought us to the retreat, I was pretty sure that he was going, that that was going to be the case. And yes, he did introduce himself and say that he, this was his first retreat. In fact, he said that it was the first time he had ever joined a Buddhist group of any kind. He was here to see if this might be what had he'd been searching for. He said that he had never shared in a spiritual way in a group setting before. So now we'll move to reflection. I started to think about noble silence. I was so glad that there was noble silence. I had been given the opportunity to pause and restrain my reactivity. I felt ashamed of myself. I could feel my righteousness and sense of being wrong deflating. I remembered a friend and longtime practitioner once telling me about a retreat she had been on many years before at Insight Meditation Center in Barrie, Massachusetts. She said that a teacher told them that they would be changing seats when each new sit began, not moving their things to a new place in the hall, but moving to another chair or zabutan set up by someone else with someone else's cushions, blankets, shawls, etc. At the time, my friend and I agreed that the whole thing was pretty radical. My friend said that the yogis were shocked, but she said she learned a lot from that. So I was thinking I was going to learn something too. What is with this sense of ownership? I really felt that I was in a trance of ownership, along with its corollary, first come, first served. Norman Fisher says ownership is a misunderstanding. Everything we think we possess, we only take care of on a temporary basis. Ownership is just a social and legal convention. And he goes on to say, a friend of mine once told me he felt guilty that he owns a big house overlooking the ocean. And I said, don't worry. I told him it's only temporary. I also thought of uh, the five recollections. Number four, the one that is all that is dear to me and everyone I love are the nature to change. There is no way to escape being separated from them. And the fifth, my actions are my only true belongings, which, of course, is really important when developing the paramis. By this point, I was starting to be heedful of my assumptions and the consequences of my possible actions. And I was trying to see the situation from a fresh perspective. Maybe I could put myself in the place of this other person. From now on, I'm going to call him my friend, not the other person. If I had attempted to convey to my friend that he had made a mistake, that he should go to the storage closet and find his own pillows and find another place to sit, that would have been very unwelcoming. I was really horrified to think that my sense of trespass had been strong enough to even contemplate such an action. I knew I valued generosity, and I was pretty shocked that I had such an ungenerous feeling. 
Ajahn Suchito says that heedfulness is unbiased attention. And he said it's absolutely necessary when practicing with paramis to pay unbiased attention to our ungenerous feelings, thoughts, and actions, as well as our generous feelings, thoughts, and actions. We have to understand what keeps us from realizing the generous spirit we are heir to. It isn't objects that set up craving, but the feeling of not having. He says what helps us practice generosity is appreciating the natural abundance of life. When we do move in an ungenerous direction, we get to look at the suffering caused by lack of restraint and see the drawbacks. And that will help us choose the generous way rather than the non-generous way the next time. The Buddha himself often learned this way when he was still an unawakened bodhisattva. His heart didn't leap up at renunciation, didn't grow confident, steadfast, or firm, seeing it as peace. But he realized that if he were to understand the drawbacks of sensual pleasures, which include material objects and our comfort, and if he then also understood the benefits of renouncing them, his heart would leap up. In other words, he would see that letting go and generosity are the way to true peace and happiness. In the experience I'm sharing with you, I had the chance to pause to pay maybe not perfectly unbiased attention, but attention with a growing objectivity and reflect on what I saw before I acted. I was moving from my fixed subjective view of the situation, as in, you know, the second precept says, don't take what's not offered, to considering another's perspective and to including some empathy for the person I initially felt had wronged me. I started to see that maybe he was like me in a way. I remembered when I went to my first retreat, I felt unsure of myself. I knew there were procedures to follow and expectations, and I wanted to be respectful and do my part well, but sometimes I didn't get it right. It was embarrassing. Everyone else, everyone else seemed to know what they were doing, and I thought maybe my friend is feeling a little like that. It became clear to me that I was definitely going to be sitting in a chair, not on my cushion for the rest of the retreat. I could very clearly see that the drawback to clinging to my stuff, my place, would be very unwelcoming and could definitely do harm. But I have a little bit more to the story. There was still some clinging left in me, some thoughts arising from time to time. I wish I could use my shawl. I would prefer to sit on my pillows. The next day, in the group interview with the teacher, my friend was in the group I was in. He was very forthcoming, and I learned more about his life challenges and the reason he had decided to try the retreat. And that's when I saw that he was not just a bit like me. He was just like me. Just as I want happiness and fear pain, just as I want to live and not die, so did he. I felt the dropping away of barriers between us and connection, not separation. Hadn't I come to this path for the very same reason? That's when I let go of my ungenerous attitude. It switched to, I'm honored to share my place with you. Welcome to the retreat. I said that in my head. I didn't say it out loud because we were still in noble silence. I saw that claiming my belongings and my space and having things just the way I wanted was so much less satisfying than the abundance I felt connecting to my friend with a spirit of generosity. And at the end of the retreat, when there was 
an opportunity to for each of us to share if we wanted to. My friend shared and said how much the openness and kindness of the people at the retreat meant to him. I felt a lot of gratitude that I've been able to see my unconscious possessiveness and its potential for harm before I acted on it. And it led me to question more ideas of ownership. Where else is it at work in my life? I, me, mine, with the emphasis on mine. I think our society focuses on the individual too much. There are other societies that focus more on sharing with a larger community. The other thing I learned from this experience was around having fixed views. Initially, I felt righteously indignant and made the other person wrong. I was judging and making assumptions about him that I had no right to. Thankfully, I found out that my assumptions were not correct, but I saw how establishing a view and making it solid made me more solid and separate too, and that is not a way to feel abundance. I'm almost done. Our founder, Rodney Smith, um, offered a great uh, offered a retreat last weekend on boundaries, and he said by putting up boundaries to create a solid self, the mind cuts us off from our completeness. Developing generosity and all of the paramis really help us connect to all beings in all life, leading to our completeness and our contentment. One last thing is the fourth very most, very important element of working with parami, which is meditation. And I will add being generous to yourself. I started working with these after the experience, seeing how important it was to be present to my connection with all beings in all life. I started saying this mantra in my meditations, just like me, just like me. I started seeing that um, that was a very relaxing feeling when I said that. And I realized that it takes a lot of work and energy to maintain those defensive boundaries. It takes a lot of work to maintain the I. So we can think of meditation time as a gift to ourselves when we don't have to achieve anything or fix anything. We can think of something that makes us happy, meditate on the pleasure that it brings us, breathe and relax, holding that contentment. And this will help us feel abundance and help us feel more generous. Not only that, the more content and relaxed we are in our being, the more our simple presence is a gift to others. I love this story from Norman Fisher. He tells that when he was elected abbot of the San Francisco Zen Center, which was a big, hard job, he said, people would ask what priorities he had for his new role. He told them, my first priority is my own happiness. And when people were shocked, he said, a crabby abbot will dampen everyone's mood, while a happy abbot increases the joy of the whole community. So in meditation, we avoid censoring our thoughts. We widen our tension so that we don't get engrossed in what the mind is saying to us. We keep going back to awareness of the body and the breath. We pay attention to where there is stress, and we release the stress as we are able. When your stress is less, 
then you can be like the happy abbot. That's the conclusion of my talk, but I, I have a, just a little short um, uh, piece from the Dhammapada that I'm going to read at, as we just sit quietly for a moment. And it goes like this. If, by forsaking a limited ease, he would see an abundance of ease, the enlightened man would forsake the limited ease for the sake of the abundant. So now we are going to um, have breakout groups, and I'm going to put you into groups. Of okay, welcome back. If you would like to share out, you can um, raise your hand, your little yellow hand, if you'd like, under reactions. Let's see, yeah. You can raise your hand, or you can just go like that. I think I can see everybody on the screen. If you'd like to share out um, comment or question. I don't see any hands. I'll get us started. Thank All you. All month we've been talking about the impact of selfing and the self, and, and you did it again so beautifully, Lauren, with the I um, so big. And um, I shared um, an experience where it's just humbling to see how much um, my own, you know, that I'm the center of the, my universe and I want me to be first. And, oh, my goodness, it's like, really? <laughs> so, um, and and just a big thank you to people for being so willing to share so honestly. And the joy of Sangha um, and how we've built this trust in our little boxes. And big gratitude to everybody for that. Thank you so much, Suze. Anybody else? Oh, there's a hand. Charlotte. Thank you. That was a wonderful talk. Um, I got so much out of it, and I can relate to it in so many ways. Um. I don't have much to say except that uh, I haven't thought about restraint being um, an act of generosity, of uh, restraint in speech and action and thought. And uh, that's, that's really, shouldn't be new to me, but it is. So thank you. Thank you. 
Isn't that true? So true. It shouldn't be new to me, but it is. We hear these things and, oh, of course I know that. But then all of a sudden we say, whoa, wait a minute. Thank you, um, Julie. I just wanted to say thanks for a great talk and also express my gratitude for to all the local Dharma leaders who lead this Sunday sit because I get so much out of every single one of them and I am so cognizant of how much time and effort you all put into preparing these talks you know, from from the guided meditation to the words you say, there were so many aspects of what you said, and we all brought it up in our group too. You know, um, that just really resonated. And I'm just going to also second what Sue said. I'm very appreciative of the sangha. Um, just feeling really blessed. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. I could feel the heartfeltness. <laughs> mm. Lindell. Yeah, Lauren, I just wanted to say I really appreciated your story because (laughs) the very first retreat I went on, I was that person who went and sat down in somebody else's spot and didn't even know what I was doing. (laughs) So it was a little bit different from your situation because It was before Noble Silence had started, and it wasn't super crowded. So we were coming in, and the person that was in that spot just told me, oh, excuse me, that's my spot. (laughs) And so I moved to a different place. And, um, you know, then I realized, you know, you had to go get your own cushions or whatever if you hadn't brought them and stuff. So, I mean, I was actually glad that he set me straight because it was a like a 10-day retreat and it would have been really embarrassing if I had been sitting there with his stuff that whole time. But um, I really could appreciate your kindness in, you know, really thinking about not embarrassing that person and making them feel welcome with what you did. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. You know, maybe he wouldn't be embarrassed, but I would have been embarrassed. And I I was really worried about um, everything I thought of. It would only embarrass him. And he never knew because he just put that stuff back in the storage. And when he was gone, I went and just took it back. (laughs) So it all worked out. And then I just felt so glad. You know, we want to feel that we're more have more of the parmies in us and it's a little hard to see oh my gosh look at this but it's such a um, gift to see it and think oh I am really glad I saw this so this is going to help me next time and somebody shared that idea that failure in our group I don't know if they're here today but they shared it a number of months ago, and I think of it all the time, that they're so glad when they fail because it teaches them and they really learn and that they then they won't do it next time. You know, they they have that learning. And I think that's what the Parmies, you know, have. Uh, that's part of the way to learn about the Parmies is to make those really <laughs> mistakes, <laughs> see some of those uh, urges we have in us. Okay, looks like that's um, 
that's it for today for comments and questions and sharing. So um, I'm going to move on to announcements. And first of all, I'd like to let you know that we had um, a focus group a month or two ago that made some suggestions for our Sunday sit, what we do at our Sunday sit. I just wanted to announce that we've, we've done two, we've acted on two of the suggestions. And one of them is that we tried uh, the extending the Sunday sit meeting for 30 minutes after it ends at 1130. So people could in a more casual uh, independent way, talk and get to know each other better. We did that with after ARV's first um, Sunday of the month, and it went really well, we felt. So we are going to do that again. We're just not yet scheduling exactly when it will happen, but um, the teachers are going to definitely continue with that um, option, and we'll let you know um, when we're going to do it. So if you like to stay after if you did it last time and you want to do it again it will be happening again and the other thing is that we've started our um sunday sit resource page and we're going to uh put a new page for each month so there will be resources from january which is up right now and at the end of february there'll be a new page for february and the january page will still be there so you can see both as we accumulate new resources. And the um, I put in the chat, the way to search for it on the website is to search Sunday Sit Resources, and the page should come up. But there's also a link, and it's right here, clinsight.org slash Sunday dash space fit space resources. So I um, <clears throat> wanted to let you know that that is there. And as far as the Big Sims calendar, there on March 10th, there's an Sims LGBTQIA 25-plus Kalyanamita online um, from 5 to 6. There is a, an Introduction to Meditation class series starting with Tim, April 9th. So if you know anybody who um, wants to learn about meditation, or if you want a refresher, that's coming up. And there's a meditation retreat with Tim, Guile, and Twery, April 14th, 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. That's a short retreat. I don't know. I We better look at that. Um, but anyway, there, that's coming up. I think, isn't that the retreat up in Bellingham, with the Bellingham Insight Group? Well, I'm going to go to learning more. It says... I think okay. that's the one. That's yeah, it's a six-night, seven-day. Yeah, Samish Island is a great place to go on a retreat. I, I highly recommend it, and that would be with our teachers, so that would be a great opportunity. So all this information is on the website. And um, I just want to say that um, for giving Donna, we uh, our teachers do um, – it's part of their livelihood – and you can offer that uh, on our website uh, under the Donate tab. And you can offer to SIMS, um, the society itself, which is all volunteer. And we are hopefully opening. It's 
Do you have an update on the opening? Is it still the same thing? Well, we're crossing our fingers that it might be March 24th, but that's still a soft date. Um, A couple of us went and looked at it. It's so lovely. There's this new um, beautiful fence and gate that comes in, and it's just going to be really a wonderful spot. When we do the celebration, it'll be both in person and online. Um, if you're able to make it in person, I think it's going to be a really lovely combination of ceremony. And we've got a little um, craft project that we're going to build. We're going to be making a, a blessing flag that will be hung in the um, meditation hall. And everybody can make their own little blessing on these um, uh, flags. So um, t- March 24th is soft. It's a soft date, but it's it's ha- it's getting there. It's getting there. Great. So um, we appreciate any of your offerings, both monetary and voluntary. Um, Sims really depends on them. And I think that's brought us to the closing. So we'll just take a moment to be quiet and offer the merit of our practice today. As I want this for myself, I want it for all beings everywhere. May the benefit of our practice today be shared with all beings for the easing of their suffering and may it become a condition of their happiness, peace, and final liberation. Thank you, everybody, for coming, participating, and being in our sangha.